Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. We're recording this live from the Oval during England's ODI against Pakistan. I'm Yaz Rana and today I'm joined by the magazine editor of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly Magazine, Joe Harmon. Good to have you on, Joe. Thanks, Yaz. And for the first time, we're delighted to be joined by Wasim Khan, MBE, the first British-born Pakistani to have a county cricket contract and the current managing director of the Pakistan Cricket Board. Really grateful having you on. Great to be here, Yaz. Um... First of all, do we, should we just clear up your, your role at the moment? Because there's a new story recently saying that a few board members at the PCB weren't quite happy with your appointment. Just to clarify, you are still the managing director. As far as I know, unless yeah, something's happened yeah. while I've been here. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, um, it's sort of a bit of a common occurrence over there, actually, in, in Pakistan. Um, yeah, I, I think what basically happened is we're going through quite a, a lot of domestic reforms at the moment, which means that um, there's a lot of change going on. And I think that there's a huge resistance to change in Pakistan, which I think the Prime Minister is finding in many things that he's trying to do. Um, so which, what's culminated in was five regional presidents who sit on the board uh, deciding that they were going to um, put a petition forward um, asking for the removal of the MD role. Which is um, you. Which is me. So that they kept talking about it being not about me, but the role itself, mm. saying it was unconstitutional and not in the Constitution. Um, considering they'd been part of that board, four months earlier which had voted for it mm-hmm. uh, it made a bit of a farce of it but nevertheless it was something that um they wanted to cause a bit of upheaval and uh, they walked out the board meeting uh, suffice to say nothing really came of it apart from a lot of media stuff going on about myself in tv over there I woke up the following morning to find all seven news channels running a story on me mm-hmm. um but um you know that's the kind of thing that you find over there politics and cricket are the only two big things that run but thankfully i'm still in post and uh still very much uh, focused on on m- the job that i've got to do it even got to the stage where the prime minister had to get involved yeah the prime minister yeah he's a patron of the cricket board uh basically said we need to put an end to this nonsense yeah. and move on uh, he's been hugely supportive of the reforms that we're trying to put in place because he's trying to do something similar within the government uh 
but uh, but no, all, all good so far, and uh, you know we're still fully focused on what we've got to do. Um, kind of relates to that. What's your moment of the week? Moment of the week goes back to uh, the prime minister, actually, and you know, uh, you know how many prime ministers around the world um, would, in the middle of a political speech, start talking about reforms to the domestic structure? Not enough. That's the <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, so yeah, so uh, he was uh, doing prime minister Imran Khan was doing a speech about two days ago. Um, addressing um, a, a, a sort of a, a lobby and, and a big group of people about various things around the economy and then moved on to the domestic structure and how important it was. So, you know, couldn't really ask for anything more, to be honest yeah. with you, as, as a, the Pakistan Cricket Board is trying to drive reforms and changes. You've got an ex-test ex captain who's, uh, who's also the prime minister. It just goes to show the, the, the reach of cricket in Pakistan and it's almost incomprehensible to, to us in England that... We'd, I mean, I know obviously it creates some issues as you just described, but we would love that level of passion and interest in, in cricket in this country. I guess that's what we're, we're fighting for. And on the one hand, it's extremely positive. The flip side is it's a very demanding role that you've, you've taken on um, and the fans can be unforgiving because they're so desperate for their side to do well. Um, are you prepared for that, for that aspect of it? Yeah, look, uh, you, know, you, go, you go down to the shops and you, wherever you go around, people want to debate um, selection. You know, there's a, there's a huge, well, there's a, quite a big rivalry between Lahore and Karachi, particularly through the media. And, you know, there, there's a mix of players from, from both, both cities. So people are constantly pushing for players from their own city. And, um, you know, people want to debate cricket. You know, they're so passionate about it. Politics and cricket are the two big things in the country. But, it, you know, I'd rather have it that way than, you know, be, be trying to get people interested in the sport. Uh, and trying to get people passionate about the national team. You know, the reason why they want to have debates and they get quite heated is because they're so passionate for the country. It's probably no different in India or Sri Lanka or Bangladesh. So, um, we were very, you know, I see as as us being very fortunate rather than it being a, a hindrance or mm. something, you know, something sitting on my shoulder constantly. It'd be a bit weird, I think, if Theresa May was talking about the Royal London One Day Cup and uh, <laughs> talk about the structure there. A welcome distraction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> true, true. Um, let, let's go on and move to the England-Ireland ODI that seemed like a long time ago, but it was in the last week. Uh, England were given a bit of a scare, chasing 199. Ireland pegged them back to 66 for five and then 101 for six before Ben Folks on debut and Tom Curran guided England home with three over to spare. Uh, that game was also notable as it was Joffre Archer's England debut. Waz, have you seen much of Joffre Archer? He's, he's quite yeah. exciting, isn't he? Just he's taking a wicket outside, very, actually. Very exciting. Um, he's, um, you know, I first saw him, I was the chief executive at Leicestershire yeah. um, prior to joining um, the PCB and for two seasons, we, we, you know, I saw him at first hand and remember the first time you, you see him, he kind of lollops in and you don't think a great deal, but, you Coming know, it, it's incredible, yeah, particularly his bouncer and you only need to speak to the batters, but, you know, his rise has been fantastic and it's great to see him out there representing England. Yeah, um, Joe, did you, do you think we've learned anything from that game from an England point of view? It's hard to say, obviously, it was partially second string uh, and it wasn't a great performance, to be honest, and it was after a difficult period for England with the Alex Hales business. Um, I think, in retrospect, Morgan might look back on that game and say it was a, it was a welcome challenge. Just to blow Ireland away wouldn't have been particularly useful at that point. Um, I think it also showed the depth that Ben Folks came in and, and 
won England the match effectively. The guy who realistically is probably going to have a very little chance of playing in the well, World Probably Cup. the least chance of anyone yeah. in that side yeah. actually. And um, it was a really big game for Tom Curran as well who took some wickets, scored some runs. He's one of those players that will he, won't he, lose his place to Joffre Archer in very that Very calm squad. under pressure, Tom Curran. Very calm under pressure. And he seems to have, I mean his batting seems to have come on leaps and bounds mm. from, from his time in the big bash. Um, so I think th- there were positives to take from a not very good performance. Um, I don't know if there's necessarily that much they can learn in terms of individuals particularly. I think it probably, Archer didn't have his best day with the ball, but has shown in that game, and I think the Pakistan T20 that we'll come on to as well, that this is why everyone wants him in that squad. Well, yeah, then on Sunday, England play Pakistan in uh, what I've been saying for a while is a truly pointless game. Waz, why was there a T20 international schedule just before a 50-over World Cup? Uh, it's a good question. I can't really answer that, to be honest with you. Before your time. This before was my time, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of the stuff is before my time. Yeah. So <laughs> all, the, all the good stuff was during my time. And, you know, any contentious stuff, well, you know, I'm sorry. I've only been in the job three months. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, again, we learned that much. Really. It I was mean, good fun. It, yeah. was a, it was a really good game, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was one of those ones that not so long ago you'd have thought England probably wouldn't have got over the line there. And actually watching it, I didn't really have any doubt that they would even against a very strong Pakistan number one ranked T20 side in the world really yeah and yeah formidable bowling attack I just thought at the end with Morgan hitting that six to win it there's just something about we've talked about this before but Mm. the way he leads that side and he's so in control of everything that he does and seemingly that that team does I just didn't have any doubt that he gets crossed and it's such a lovely place for an English cricket fan to be that you just kind of back him in those pressurised situations mm. to do what he needs to. A rare display of emotion from Morgan as well when it he was, hit the match 26. For a pointless T20, yeah. as, as you say. <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, we are we are here at the Oval watching England play Pakistan right now. Uh, Joffre Archer is running in. He's bowling very well. He's taken an early wicket. Pakistan 15 for one at the moment. Moeen Ali is missing from England today. He's out with a, a rib injury. Not, not supposed to be anything serious. But it does mean that there's an opportunity for spin bowling all-rounder Joe Denley uh, to impress um, I don't want to talk about it too much because we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but Liam Dawson, who's arguably been the player of the Royal London One Day Cup, has been name-checked by Trevor Bayliss as someone who's still in with a shout of being picked in the final 15-man squad and might be added to the current squad for the series against Pakistan. Um, to be honest, what I've been talking about him recently has been tongue-in-cheek. I didn't think he'd actually be in with a shout to get picked in the World Cup squad. Um, wh- how do you see that Denley-Dawson scenario playing out? I was a little bit surprised by Bayliss's quotes yesterday. I mean, I, to give him his dues, he, he is quite straight talking and, and I, it seemed to put a bit of pressure on a bloke they've only just picked in Joe Denley. And sure, Liam Dawson's been doing brilliant in the Royal London One Day Cup, but he always does very well in domestic one day cricket. I don't think anything has, mm. has changed that. My feeling a little bit is that Bayliss is, since Bayliss come in, he's always been very keen on Dawson. That's my impression. Whereas Denley to me, feels like Ed Smith's pick yeah. if you look at it, the chronology of the whole thing. So I think, I'm not saying there's any kind of friction there, but I think there may be a slight kind of difference of opinion or at least an openness to seeing Dawson come in and take Denny's place if he can do enough to justify that. I think he said that Dawson might come in later on in this one-day series, yeah. potentially. So it m- we might get a kind of head-to-head scenario between Denley and Dawson. I mean, I think it's just good to put a bit of pressure on Denley. You know, you don't want to make him feeling that, you know, you know you're in the 15-man squad, whatever. You've actually got five games to prove yourself before the squad's named uh, just before the tournament starts. He batted nicely because uh, he went for a few, didn't he, in the T20 yeah. uh, when he was first bowling. Few, first two balls went for six, didn't they? But he batted calmly in what was a relatively pressurised yeah. situation and I think he showed the value of his experience there. Uh, speaking of the Royal London One Day Cup, the group stages are over. Not Worcestershire, Lancashire, Liam Dawson's Hampshire, Middlesex and Somerset progress. Knotts and Hampshire straight to the semi-finals and the other four are in the effective quarter-finals 
playoff games. Um, Joe, your moment of the week is from the Royal London One Day Cup. It was. It was um, young Max Holden's first List A 100. Uh, 166 from 139 balls, which is Middlesex's highest ever List A score. Um, still only 21 years old. Uh, left-handed opener. Um, who's been talked about for a, a very long time. For a very, very long time. For a very, very long time. So actually, as I was seeing that score come through yesterday and watching some of the highlights, uh, it reminded me, we, I spoke to him uh, five years ago as a 16-year-old. We did a feature for All Out Cricket Magazine, which was the forerunner to the revamped Wisdom Cricket Monthly. Um, and we asked county, uh, county coaches and scouts around the country who the best young players in the country to, were to look out for. And Holden's name kept coming up. He was so young, I had to actually call his mum to arrange the interview with him. Uh, and then I was so struck by speaking to him. I mean, it was like speaking to Alistair Cook. Uh, he had all the same cliches ready to go. I just thought this guy's, if he can bat, then he's, he's, definitely, he's definitely ready for this. And I asked for a photo for the magazine. Uh, his mum said, we don't have one, but give me, give me a minute. And they rushed off to the nets. Uh, she took a photo of Max in his whites and sent it back about half an hour later. So I thought she's d- he's, he's definitely got the right mum in place yeah, to yeah. be an international <laughs> cricketer as well. And he, he's, um, I mean, it, it's 21. He might have taken a little bit longer to come on than people expected. Such was his reputation at 16, 17, He's played 18. for the Lions. He did really well for Northlands last year. He has, he has. He just hasn't had that kind of the big breakthrough season yet. Yeah. He did well on loan at Northlands, where I think he got his nickname, uh, Mini Chef. Yeah. Uh, because there is a lot of Alistair Cook about him. And I was just looking back at that interview with him and he said, Alistair Cook's my idol and he's how I want to bat. So it's great to see him really coming through. Uh, he's, he was one of those players that 16, 17, anyone you speak to would say, this lad's going to go and play for England if he, if he keeps doing what he's doing. And uh, it's good to see him make that step. Um, this is the first time Middlesex have progressed past the group stages in a 50-over competition since the Friends Provenant Trophy in 2009. In that competition, it was in the days where Ireland and Scotland took part. Um, Waz, what were you doing in 2009? It was Barack Obama's first year in office. Avatar came out. Matt Smith was named as Doctor Who. Very different times. I think I was, I think I was busy with Chance to Shine in 2009. Uh, the charity take cricket back into state schools. And uh, I think I took over as chief exec yeah, in 2009 having been ops director. So, uh, yeah, pretty busy time, but I remember the Barack Obama moment. Um, You know, historical moment, iconic moment. I guess there's, in your lifetime, um, there's going to be three or four of those moments, and that was certainly one of them. Elsewhere in the competition, uh, there's a great story here with Dan Duthwaite. I hope I pronounced that correctly. He's got a rapid 52 not out to help Glamorgan beat Sussex. He's got a really good story. He played youth cricket at Surrey, played Warwickshire seconds last year, now age 22. He started the season playing for Cardiff MCCU. He scored 100 for them against Sussex, won a contract with Glamorgan, and he's proved to be quite a shrewd signing. Um, there's a great video on the Wisdom Twitter feed of him taking a, a, a wicket, bowling around the wicket, bowling with good pace, nipping away and taking left-handers off stump. Great to see somebody rise that rapidly and do so well. It is, so and it's really good to see people coming through that MCCU system because uh, it sometimes get a bit of stick, particularly early season when they're kind of early warm-up fodder for some of the yeah. first-class sides and you see some pretty big scores and they look, one-sided and of course they are going to be one-sided games that's sort of the point really but you do need those few players coming through to almost justify that and and I, yeah I saw that ball he I think it was Sam Van Ziel he bowled so a, a test player as well uh yeah absolute beauty uh, and it looks like he could be quite quite quick in time as well and just the other thing on Glamorgan they've been fantastic at giving you some of the young players an opportunity 
um, you know, Hugh Morris and, and I think that the hierarchy take a lot of stick at Glamorgan. But, you know, in terms of the, the work they're doing in terms of bringing some of their youth through, uh, I think they do a great job. And sometimes you have to lose out in the short term for, for long term gain. And, and I think that their policy of backing some of their younger players, I think, is also important for the next generation coming through to show, to show that actually there will be opportunities here at Glamorgan if you're good enough to play. How, how did you strike that balance at, at Leicestershire with... Obviously, there's the lure of getting some experienced Colpac players, potentially with international experience yeah. in, but you've also got a proud reputation of producing young players at Leicestershire Yeah, as well. I mean, we, we, had, we had a fantastic academy. We still have a fantastic academy at Leicester where the likes of James Taylor, Stuart Broad, Luke Wright, um, these types of guys have come through the academy system. But back into back into 2014, the club lost six players of their homegrown players. There was a bit of a mass exodus at the back of 2014. And um, that really hit the club quite hard. It invested quite a lot into uh, those young players. They very much saw them as the future uh, moving forward, but they lost those players. And so it took quite a while to try and rebuild with that. And then you kind of need to bring in some experienced players. You go down the route of Colpax to try and bring a bit of solidity and try and find the balance between homegrown players and others who can add significant value as well to, to your side. And I think that's the important thing is that if you look around the country now and look at the Colpac players, um, you know, majority of those now uh, bring something pretty significant. And it's important the youngsters can learn off them as well. You know, it's, it's OK saying stick 11 youngsters in and, you know, but losing every game after game isn't, isn't a lot of fun. So you need to find the balance. What's it like, though, from a club's point of view when you have put so much time and money into the development of young players and a Stuart Broad, James Taylor, Luke Wright, Zach Chappell this year, they leave before they've really reach the top of their potential what's that like it's, it's it's a tough one because there's no transfer system in cricket so you could work with a player for five or six years nurture them bring them through they could be on your staff for a year and then get lured by another county because they're paying more money and i think that's always a challenge for the non-test match grounds um it's pretty demoralizing when players do leave i mean leicestershire last year we lost zach chapel to knots you know and that happens all around the country and i think that um, you know, I think they are exploring now the ECB, some kind of compensation scheme where if you've invested in players, they've come through your academy system, but they end up moving elsewhere, that you at least get compensated for the time, resources, the effort that you've put into nurturing those and bringing those through, because ultimately you're bringing through English qualified players. Mm. And it's important that, that um, clubs like your Leicestershire's actually get rewarded for that. Do you think a, a transfer fee? I, mean, I know Ian Botham uh, advocated this when Durham lost, as they seem to do all the time, lost their most promising young players. Do you think there is a is the room for a transfer system? I think maybe not a transfer system, but um, increasingly you see you're seeing players leaving counties with still a year left on their contracts. So counties buying counties uh, or players out of their contracts for a year. Um, but I think that you know cricket's always been quite unique. I think. A contract has always meant something in cricket, and I think that's where the beauty has been in football. You can sign a five-year contract and then be sold nine months later. Whereas in cricket, it's always been pretty sacrosanct in terms of having a contract. Um, and what we don't want to start to do is make it very easy for players to walk out or agents to move players mid-contract. So um, I'm not in favour of the transfer system, but what I am in favour of is to be is have some kind of equity in um in some kind of system where teams get or counties get rewarded for producing homegrown players who'd eventually move on, um, you know, having come through their academy systems. And I think that sort of system would probably be a lot better for the game. We've talked about it in the last couple of weeks. The, the Women's T20 Challenge in India has started. And the first game was an epic. Smriti Mandana hit 90 for the Trailblazers. 
Uh, their third top scorer in that innings was just two. So you'd think Mandana's innings was quite important oh. there. Uh, and Sophie Eccleston on her 20th birthday took two for 11 from her four overs to help the Trailblazers to a two-run win over the Supernovas. Um, great names there, the Supernovas and the Trailblazers. And today, for playing for Velocity, Farley Verma, a 15-year-old, hit 34 runs, um, one for the future. She's only just turned 15 as well, uh, and she was batting with Danny Wyatt. That must have been an amazing experience for her. They could work on the names, though, couldn't they? It all sounds a bit like apprentice team names. Velocity, I think it might have been an apprentice yeah. team name. <laughs> um, I've, I've always thought that uh, the, the, the T20 nicknames have always been a bit rubbish. I can't really think of a particularly outstanding one. Um, Waz, when you were at Leicestershire, did you have any involvement with, uh, with the naming process? No, not, not really. I think the, um, in terms of the current T20 Blast, the, the name of the Foxes was always there yeah. from, the, from the beginning. I think each each name is unique, I guess, to the area. Well, uh, Worcestershire embraced their, their problems with flooding, didn't they, with the yeah, Worcestershire Rapids, <laughs> which was quite, quite admirable. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, in, in the men's IPL, Mumbai are through to another final after a low-scoring game against Chennai. Uh, but surely the story of the week from the IPL is Nigel Long, a member of the ICC's elite panel of empires, kicking and causing minor damage to a door after incorrectly giving a no ball in the final over of the Sunrise Hyderabad's innings against RCB. But crucially, it didn't actually matter that much because RCB went on to, to, to win the game. That's the kind of passion you want to see from I the umpires. I think that's great. I've never heard that before. Um, how, how was this caught? How do we know he did it? I think people saw it. And right. He's been reported to the, the BTCI. Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's great he cares that yeah, much. It's yeah, nice. That's, that's brilliant. Brilliant. And, and it's a good thing that his mistake didn't didn't matter in the, in the grand scheme of things. Um, a couple of World Cup injuries that are worth talking about. Jai Richardson has been ruled out for Australia and he's been replaced by Kane Richardson, while Chris Morris has been called up by South Africa to replace the crocked and rich Nortier. Um, it's, it's a time where you, you just want to wrap all your fast bowlers up in co- cotton wool. Yeah, definitely. Look, I, I think playing your five ODI series with England prior to the World Cup in English conditions is has got its pros and its cons. I think from a positive point of view, it just gives the guys good match practice in English conditions. You know, hard cricket against perhaps the, you know, one of the, the, the strongest teams in the world. But the negative side, you know, you just pray that some of your key players don't get injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't really legislate for that. But, you know, we're very fortunate in the fact that, you know, we've got the five ODIs before England, uh, against England prior to the World Cup. And, uh, you know, we've just got to use that to our advantage. Where, where did Pakistan stack? It's always a tricky one, Pakistan, ahead of a major tournament because they haven't had great form in 50-over cricket. But then they had pretty terrible 50-over form before the Champions Trophy and then went and won the thing. So it feels like with Pakistan, sometimes form isn't always quite as relevant as, as you might think. Yeah, look, eight of the players were rested for the ODI series against Australia in the UAE about two months ago. And, you know, the, the selectors got vilified for that because of we, we ended up losing 4-1. But, you know, th- there is method in the madness. No one's um, going to remember that series if no, Pakistan exactly. were lifting the trophy exactly. in so, July. So, you know, at some stage, the guys had been on the road since um, September time. And, th- you know, they need a rest. And, you know, they're not robots. Um, they spend ridiculous number of days in hotels now. So it was an opportunity to give the top eight players an opportunity to rest. But some other chan- players have a chance to shine as well. And I think, you know, they came in and did pretty well. Um, but, you know, I think that... Um, you know, in terms of preparation, um, there was a three and a half week camp before the guys came over here. Mickey Arthur worked them very, very hard uh, and, the, and the support staff. And, you know, they're as well prepared as they possibly can. We've got some exciting cricketers and uh, we're really, I guess the guys are chomping at the bits now for the World Cup to start. How much do you have to do with the actual cricket side of the Pakistan team? Do you ever have conversations with Mickey Arthur and like, well, we've got five ODIs, do you want to burn out Shaheen Afridi too much here? 
Yeah, look, uh, you know, that they Inzamam, the, the chief selector as well, he and I have good conversations, uh, Mickey Arthur's conversations, and we have good debates and discussions about players. I can obviously come from an informed position. Um, so we talk about, and I challenge on certain decisions and, you know, why they're not selecting certain players. And I think that's part of my job with a cricketing background as, as sort of the head, if you like, of the PCB to be able to have those conversations. And there's always needs to be checks and balances um, but my job really is there to challenge and perhaps get them to think about certain decisions they make. But uh, but look, I think the, the decisions they've made so far have been very, very good. Um, and, you know, in 50 over cricket, you know, we just hope that we can get off to a flying start. But I think the format for this year's World Cup actually suits us because that was the format that was used in the 92 World Cup, you know, where you play everybody once. Um, and that's sort of... That, that sort of um, Format actually is quite a good one for us. Especially if Pakistan have been in the past, could be known as slow starters, particularly in unfamiliar conditions. You can actually afford to lose a couple of early games whilst you find your rhythm and still qualify for that last four, can't you? You can be the fourth best team by quite a long way. Qualify for the semi-finals and you're two games away from winning the World Cup. I don't think anyone would want to play Pakistan in a World yeah. Cup semi-final <laughs> if they've especially made a late run to get those yeah. last four spots. So. Yeah, I was, I was seeing catching with Michael Vaughan over there earlier and he says, I back you guys to win it. You know, so I think there's quite a few who kind of looking at Pakistan because of what they did two years ago. Um, you know, we're probably more of a balanced side. I think of the squad of 15, about 12 or 13 are exactly the same. So those young guys, your Shadabs, your Hassan Ali's, you know, with Fakhar Zaman, we've got this young guy who bowls 90 miles an hour yeah. in Mohammed Hassanain, um, you know, 19 years old and, and a great talent. So we've got we've got a good blend. We've got Babar Azam, who's number one in the world at the moment in terms was, of T20. I was going to ask you as, a, as an elegant stroke maker yourself in, in years gone by, what about Babar Azam? And he looks like a, a special, special talent. You're too, you're too kind. I'm <laughs> not sure I was an elegant stroke maker. But uh, but no, he look, he's, he, he's superb. He's, um, you know, he reminds me a lot of Mark Wall. Not many people remember Mark Wall in his part, but I'm old enough to 48 to remember Mark Wall. But he's just very easy on the eye in terms of how he plays all around the wicket. Makes the game look very simple, has a lot of time at the crease, uh, moves quite quickly, judges the length very quickly. Uh, and it's no surprise, really, that he's right at the top of the tree in terms of T20 cricket. In your role as the MD of the PCB, um, looking to the future in five years' time, how do you view that period as a success, if it was a success? What would, you, what would be the factors that would help decide that? Yeah, look, I think there's a number, number of things from my perspective. Uh, one of them is that the whole domestic reforms at the moment. So we're looking to go potentially down the route of six provinces. We've got 16 teams currently operating. We're looking to go down the route of six, of six regions um, across the country. So that's a big thing for us to get the domestic structure right. How does that work logistically? Because then you've got eight teams that don't exist anymore. No, but what you look to do is you look to combine them. And also you have a, have a city competition underneath. So, for example, in North Punjab, you've got cities like Faisalabad, you've got um, cities like Lahore that would come under that Sialkot. And then South Punjab, you've got you know cities like Multan and those sorts of cities. So you'd have a city competition that would feed into your provinces so that you know that you'd have a second 11 with your provinces and a first 11 within your provinces and i think you know creating stress in the system i think is really important if you want a high quality domestic structure and i think that's what we're trying to create through that so that's going to be one measure the other one is trying to bring the whole of the psl back to pakistan which you know we had eight games this year which went fantastically well so perhaps looking at four venues in in, in pakistan to so we bring that back uh, and obviously um 
you know, making sure that we can we can have sustainable success on the field. So we get our academies right, get our youth structures right, get the right people coaching. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be really important for us as well and try and keep this young group of players together for at least the next five years. And, and how about international cricket back yeah. to Pakistan? Is that part of your remit? Was that one of the task that you set yourself or were set when you took on this can't job i believe i missed that absolutely right <laughs> <laughs> that, that is yeah yeah the small job of bringing it back to pakistan but um but yeah that's that's a big part of my role as well so we've got sri lanka series against sri lanka in september we're hoping that that will be played in pakistan but we need to have those conversations with the sri lanka cricket board um you know we're hoping you know england are due to come in 21 22 and we're going to work very closely with the ecb to try and make those steps put those steps in place so that uh, there's every chance of that happening in pakistan in 21 22 australia um similar we've got them in 22 so you know we gives us enough time to start to evidence what we can do but i think the perception and reality of the country are two different things you know there's this perception that it's you know some kind of war-torn country but you know the reality is is that you know most of the big cities have been absolutely fine for a long period of time any issues have been concealed to certain parts of the north sort of west frontier um you know i live in lahore now and you know i see backpackers everywhere I see people at airports, you know, white people who have been traveling around the country for the last month, um, loving their experiences, blogging about it. So I, I think that, you know, we just need somebody to take that first step. And I think once that happens and we can evidence what we can deliver, uh, I, you know, we need cricket back in the country. You know, the, 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 the people are starved of cricket. We had the eight PSL games in Karachi and they're all sold out. We had 40, 45,000 every single ground and probably could have sold it twice over. That's how starved people are and we need our role models playing in our country because we need the next generation of, of players to look up to those role models and say, look, I want to become a Pakistan cricketer. And the reports have been great from, I spoke to David Milan, I think, was it last year after the PSL? Possibly the year before that, who came back and was blown away by the experience of performing in, in front of Pakistan fans who, as you say, had been a star of cricket and had only good things to say about the whole experience as well. So it must be really useful to have the PSL almost as a platform to take to, to convince people who might need a bit of convincing that this is a good place to go and play yeah, cricket. Yeah, definitely. And look, A.B. De Villiers confirmed very early on he would tour for those eight games, but unfortunately he was ruled out through injury. But Shane Watson came and, you know, we had Darren Bravo and Pollard and, you know, we had Ravi Bapara and other players who came over. We had 14 um, English qualified players involved in the PSL through during the competition uh, of the 30 odd um, overseas players. So, you know, it's it's a great competition. It's a good product now. You know, we've just completed the fourth season of the HBL PSL. And I think that you know, it's something we want to grow, but bring back to Pakistan. So our our supporters across the country can can see their heroes playing. I want to talk a little bit about your time at Leicester in a bit more detail. So, um, so it's quite interesting hearing you talk about your role at PCB and how you're you want to move towards a six-side provincial competition. There are some people in county cricket who want to see a reduction in the number of counties. As somebody who is uh, who's in charge at Leicester, you probably will disagree with that, right? Yeah, definitely. Look, I, I think that um, because of, because of the vastness as well of the country. You know, you need centres of excellence. And when you're trying to spread the game, particularly when, when participation numbers are dwindling, you need, you need, um, you need centres across the country. If you went down to six or eight, potentially in England, um, very different to Pakistan because, you know, people live and breathe cricket. Here, you're still constantly trying to sell the game, um, you know, in, in the sort of the midst of 
all other attractions that young people have got that you know the, the the football you've got games you've got online games you've got so many things now that take up the time of young people you know you need as many centers as possible and that's why it's critical to keep the t20 blast because to t20 um particularly with 100 ball coming in next year where you're only going to have six um six or eight eight, eight sorry yeah eight centers you need you know something for the across the other 10 10 areas or the other 10 counties where cricket you can use t20 to, to as a catalyst to get youngsters in get them interested in the game to kind of go away and go mum dad i want to play the game i want to play cricket um they're not going to get inspired by county cricket so you need um t20 blast cricket in order to do that and having 18 hubs is probably better than having eight are you broadly in favor of the 100 because of the money that it kind of guarantees for the smaller counties yeah, look, I think there's been a lot of, um, uh, you know, pros and cons uh, that people have spoken about. But I think now that the 100 ball is coming in, I think everybody's behind it as a game. I think it's it's something different for the game. Uh, you know, the ECB did a great job in securing £1.2 billion for the game over the next five years. That allows you to run more participation programmes, to do more for women's and girls, um, to do more as counties, you know. Cricket isn't sustainable in this country in terms of county cricket. So therefore, this extra 1.3 million a year is a lifesaver pretty much for the game. So, you know, it's a lifesaver for the, the individual counties, individual counties, test grounds, as well as, um, you know, as well as the, the non-international grounds, you know. Um, so I, th- I think, you know, you, the bigger picture of it is, is that, you know, you, can you have an ideal structure? No, you can't. Um, you've got to try and find a way that balances everything where you're going to attract the broadcasters to something new, but at the same time, try and keep the core about what you're at. And so, you know, having the T20 blast and the 100 ball, people will argue, well, is that overkill? But th- there are different audiences, but also different reasons why you need a 100 ball and why you need to uh, retain the T20 blast as well. Well, the T20 brass is almost for the traditionalists, isn't it? So the people who actually go to county cricket, the people who already are county you know, fans. You upset some traditionalists yeah, well, out there. And then you've, got, you've got two different types of traditionalists. Well, that, yeah. yeah, I think that's fair. And then the 100 appeals, obviously, to the to people who are not yet cricket fans, which is... Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. We, I mean, we talked about the 100 quite a lot on this podcast before. Cool. Well, I want to ask you about your role as a role model for the British Asian community. So we were talking about earlier, you were the first... Uh, British-born Pakistani to have a county cricket contract. So firstly, going back to your time as a player, do you think it was more difficult for you to rise through the ranks than a white player at the time? Yeah, look, when I when I broke through, coming through in the 80s and playing club cricket and, and county age group cricket, um, you know, everybody from inner city Birmingham just said, look, you know, why are you wasting your time? It's not for people like us. And I think that was a message I had loud and clear. But but I think one thing it proved is that if you're very focused and you've got a real cl- clarity about where you want to go and what you want to do, there's nothing that stops you in this country in terms of doing that. And I always say to young kids that, you know, if you don't make it or you go for a job or you don't get the job, it's very easy to blame a system. But actually, it's a lot harder to look at yourself. But the only way you're going to improve and get better is if actually you are self-critical and you start looking, what more can I do? You know, so I, you know, did I have to do more in terms of getting a county contract? A young age probably did. I scored 3,000 runs across all formats in 1990 when I got a contract. I think I scored 1700s. I was playing for England in 19s, Warwickshire second 11, um, you know, Warwickshire under 19s, club cricket. Um, but for me, it was just about enjoying the game. And, um, you know, the game crosses all gender divides, all ethnic divides. And I think that's a beauty of cricket, brings people together from, from every walk of life. And for me, it was just about playing cricket, proving what I can do. From the age of 13, I knew I wanted to be a pro cricketer. 
And I never looked at barriers. I just looked at what I could achieve and what I could do. And I think that's really, really important for youngsters coming through now. It's really important for youngsters to have role models. So, so I'm, I'm British Asian. I was born here. Uh, a lot of my family's from Pakistan. And I remember when I was younger, I would, my uncles would always give me Pakistan shirts. And as a, as a really young child, uh, I was a Pakistan fan because that's all I knew. Um, but I'd lived my entire life here. English was the only language I spoke. I couldn't speak a word of Urdu. Um, but I remember Nasser Hussain was England captain. I was like, hang on, this guy's, this guy's a brown guy. He's the England captain. And for me, that was really important. And also at a young age, people uh, battle with questions of national identity and cultural identity. And actually having... Uh, a, a brown player to look up to I think it's so important for young people um, you were not only a trailblazer as a as a player but also as an administrator you were saying that in your time at Leicestershire you were the only brown or black CEO um, in, in any all any British black sport? or ethnic minority um, chief executive across any professional sporting club that's extraordinary and you're saying now that you've left that means we are precisely I don't, I, yeah, zero I don't, I don't think, think there is I don't think there is any other um, why, why is it do you think that even in 2019, we're in that position? I'm not sure. I, th I think that um, when people talk about participation, particularly amongst the, the black and uh, minority ethnics, they, they immediately talk about participation. But I always talk about, you know, well, there's, a room, there's room for administrators. You know, don't just think about coaching. Don't just think about playing. Think about with what you can offer as an administrator. You know, because, you know, South Asians, you know, by and large, you grow up within families. You've got a good business head on you you've got a passion for the game there's value you can add but like anything you need opportunities to prove yourself and I was fortunate to get the opportunity at Leicestershire having been at Chance to Shine for nine years um, but um, you know a lot of people don't get opportunities or they, they become disheartened because they don't they see a stat of me being the only one and think well what's the probability of me getting an opportunity is going to be pretty low but you know all I all I say is you know try and push through those glass ceilings and, and try and push through because the opportunities are there for you but you've got to you've got to be savvy. I think in this world you've got to be politically intelligent as well as anything else. And you've got to find a way of maneuvering yourself through it without losing your values and what you're about. But but you know, and I try to do that in order to progress within the game. And um the game has been very kind to me, having played, but also gone through the ranks of being administrator. Um, if I hadn't had the opportunity at Leicestershire, I wouldn't be sitting here now as the MD of the PCB. So I'm very thankful um, for what the game has given me. Um, and all I say is that, you know, if you've got a dream to be involved in the game, you know, don't let small obstacles stand in your way. Um, you know, you've got to fight through that. You've got to be resilient like anything. Um, I think that it's very easy now to, to be living in a blame culture. Uh, and I don't. And I just say, look, just accept that unconscious bias and, and you know, racism exists in this world. You know, once you acknowledge that, then I think you're constantly looking for ways of finding a way through it rather than constantly saying, oh, well, I didn't do this because of, I didn't get this opportunity because of. Just accept that it exists. Um, a lot of the time it exists within people rather than systems. Um, although you can argue that they eventually become part of that, that's what that system becomes. But, you know, generally, you know, I find, you know, people are tolerant in England. We're very fortunate to be living in England or have been living in England all my life where the tolerance levels are very high. People are good people. Uh, you just have, you, in any society, you have good people and bad people. doesn't matter what religion or background they're from. Um, but opportunities are here, and I think it's important we get more people from black and ethnic minority backgrounds trying to get into mainstream cricket, trying to get in not only playing the game, but also administration rising to the top. 
chances are there if you look at the ECB now you know there's there's a number of people now in senior positions from from Asian backgrounds so the opportunities are there so you just got to break through that and I don't buy this whole excuse about well it's yeah you're lucky and you know you know uh, you're, you're very lucky to get through I was lucky because I made my own luck I worked hard and, and I learned how to get through and how to move myself forward I never once blamed any system for that well on that note thanks so much for coming on well it's been really fascinating uh, Joe, thanks for coming on. Thanks. What about your moment of the week, Yaz? Oh, my moment of the week. Oh, thanks Can't for forget that. This is actually out of all the moments. Me coming on the show or not? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no, no. well, no, that's, that's that a bad moment. Was that a bad moment? No, that's for next week. Um, I'm actually really glad you remind me because this is one of my favourite moments of the week ever. Um, so I don't know if you guys remember when Virat Kohli uh, was videoed having a net session and that went viral. Went and absolutely he, he, nuts, he looked awesome. It? Yeah. Um, but this week, well, Australia did a very similar thing with Steve Smith, but he didn't look very good. He, looked, he, was, all great over, he was all over the place. I couldn't believe that they posted this online. Uh, Mitchell Stark was bowling in him, and I guess it's a good sign to see Mitchell Stark bowling that well, but uh, Steve Smith was all over the place, and, uh, and there was one ball that turned to him, and you could hear Steve Smith just like, oh, gee, that turned. Um, and that, that was a great video. If you can find it online, definitely have a watch. Yeah, it was a, it was a brilliant moment. Do that again. How did it go? Pardon? What did Steve Smith say? Oh, geez, that turned. It was, really, it was um, yeah, that that was one hundred percent my moment of the week. Um, but yeah, on that note, cheers, guys. Uh, cheers, Jazz. Lis- Thanks, Jazz. Listeners, if you like the podcast, share it on the internet. We'll see you again next week. Goodbye. Podcast Network.